So this is the last week of our Stretch It Out series, so I want to give you a heads up about what's coming next week and for the next uh, month from here. Um, we're going to talk about what it really means to follow Jesus. And so if you know someone, if you have a, a friend, a neighbor, uh, a coworker, who you just really want to see them take a step to Jesus, they're not attending church, they're not a part of a church family, and you want to see them take a step towards Jesus, invite them to come next week. Next week, we're going to talk about who Jesus is. Why would anybody choose to give their lives to this man? And then the whole series will kind of be a follow-up from there. Once you choose to follow Jesus, what does that look like? What does that mean for you? So it's a great series to invite people to. So I want to encourage you to do that and uh, be looking for that next week. Today, we're going to finish Stretch It Out Strong. We've been talking about embracing the pain of a growing faith. When you get ready to do some physical activity and exercise and you stretch, there's a little bit of pain involved in stretching. There should be. It's natural. It's normal. That pain's not a bad thing. That pain is preparing your muscles and your body for what's coming. And so when we encounter uh, pain in our lives, I, I want us to learn to have this perspective that pain is not necessarily a bad thing. That pain can be something that God is doing, that God is using to prepare us for a stronger faith. We all think that we would be better off with a stronger faith. If I had more confidence today that God is with me and for me than I did yesterday, that's a good thing, right? So we want to look at that pain that comes in life as, a, as an opportunity for greater faith. So today we're going to talk about embracing the new for the sake of what God is doing. Most of us do not like change, right? In fact, this is one of my favorite uh, phrases. I forget where I picked this up, a bumper sticker somewhere, but there are two things I hate, right? The way things are and change. <laughs> that, that describes a lot of people that you know, right? I, I, I'm never satisfied because either, either everything stinks or they changed something, right? <laughs> uh, this is actually like church member like default, right? I, it's, it's either terrible or they changed it, and, and I'm not happy either way, right? We don't like change. We don't like the new. It's uncomfortable. It, it, it forces us to do things differently, get out of our routine. Sometimes it's unpredictable. Just as a reminder of some new things that you didn't like uh, recently, uh, you remember when they started putting roundabouts in Hamilton County? How many of you were like, yes, our tax dollars spending, you know, millions of dollars to replace four-way stops, you know, it's, it's great, right? They're, they're actually wonderful, but if you're honest, most of you didn't like them when they first started because it was new, and you had to learn a new way to do things, and you, you had to look at, in the winter, you had to see those tire tracks that went right across the middle in the snow. You remember, remember those before they started building concrete things in the middle of the roundabouts? It was new. We didn't like it. Another thing that I think is new that most people are apprehensive of is self-driving cars. How many of you, are, you, you saw that and you're like, nope, that's, that's bad. That's the beginning of the end. I've seen this movie. It's called Terminator. This is, this is not going to end well, right? And, and you're hoping they don't legalize it in Indiana or whatever. But it's, most of us, our fear of it is just because it's new. It's different. We don't understand it. We haven't really had time to learn about it. Um, Along those lines, if, if, if you're into sports cars, the Corvette is, is going to be new next year, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. I don't know if you're a classic car person that thinks there shouldn't be a mid-engine Corvette, but there absolutely should be. Uh, it's going to be like a Lamborghini except uh, a Corvette, so 
Uh, I just threw that in there because I'm excited about it. You probably don't care, but I hope that one of you will buy one so I can drive it. That's the plan. <laughs> I'm uh, advertising for this. But we, we, we resist the new sometimes just because it's new. And somebody will ask you, well, why don't you like this? You know, the menu at your favorite restaurant changes. And you're like, oh, you know, why don't you like it? And if you were going to be really honest in that moment, you would say, well, it's just different. Well, that's not a good reason not to like something. So we, don't, we never say that, you know. So we come up with these reasons and we start to justify why we don't like something new. But what if God is trying to do something new in your life? What if God is trying to bring you to a new place in your faith? And you've been resisting because it's new and it's different and it's going to cause you to get out of your comfort zone and it's going to change your routine and the way that you do things and the way that you interact with people. What if you've resisted what God is trying to do just because it's new? Maybe, maybe you're missing out on the something better that God has for you. If you were here last week, Andy did a fantastic job of talking to us about humility and how God has something better for us. And what if that something better is new and you've, you've missed out because you, you've just avoided change in your life. So we're going to take a look at this uh, incredible story in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it there with me. We're going to kind of read through this in pieces, but um, you can follow along on the screen as well. We're going to talk first about embracing the new through obedience. In Exodus chapter 12, God's people, the descendants of Abraham, the Hebrews, as they were called at that time, had been in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. They were slaves to the Egyptians under the rule of Pharaoh. They were not treated well. They were, they were the workforce for the Egyptian nation. And things get really bad at, at a point, the beginning of the book of Exodus, where the people are crying out to God and asking for relief from their oppression. The taskmasters were hard on them, and they made their jobs harder because the, the, the Hebrews were multiplying. And so God tells Moses, I've heard the cries of my people, and I want you to go and, and tell Pharaoh. And what does he tell Pharaoh? Let my people go, right? Is that your, that's Charlton Heston, in case you didn't pick up on that. Let my people go, right? And Pharaoh says, I don't think so. And so God says, all right, you're going to regret that. And, and then the plagues begin, right? All these terrible things happen. The Nile uh, turns to blood and the livestock die and there are swarms of locusts. And all of these terrible things happen to Egypt, nine plagues. And Pharaoh still won't change his mind and the people are still slaves in Egypt. When we get to chapter 12, God comes to Moses and he says, there's one more plague coming and this is going to be it. This is going to be when Pharaoh says, all right, it's time for you guys to leave. So I want you to be ready to go. I, I'm doing something new. You are no longer going to be slaves in Egypt. You're going to be free, and you're going to be your own nation. So get ready. Get ready. And there's some, some specific things that God tells them to do to get ready. And one of, one of those things involves a meal. The, the, the meal that they're going to eat before they take off from the land of Egypt comes to be known as the Passover meal. Have you heard that? Passover meal. We talk about this around Easter time. The Passover meal was started here in Exodus 12, and this was God saying, you're going to need a quick meal. You're going to need to be able to eat and run. And so here's the quick meal I want you to prepare. It's going to involve a lamb and some unleavened bread and some things like that. And then he tells them in, in ch chapter 12, verse 11, in this manner you shall eat it, that is the Passover meal, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, 
and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. He says, Moses, I want you to tell the people, look, I know you've been waiting a long time. I know it's been 400 years, and then even over these last few months, there have been all of these plagues, and Pharaoh keeps saying no. His heart is hard. He won't change his mind, but I'm telling you, it's about to happen, and I don't want you to miss it. I want you to be ready. So he tells them to prepare this, this, this quick meal, the first uh, walking tacos in history. Uh, he, he said, I want you to eat this standing up. I want you to be ready to, to go as soon as, as the word comes. And so you're going to eat this meal standing up. Your belt's going to be fastened. And what he meant by that was they didn't walk around with their belts unfastened. They, 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 had, they wore these robes, which robes are not ideal for running or moving quickly. And so when they needed to run or move quickly, they would take the, the robes, they'd hike them up and tuck them into their belts and fasten their belts. So he said, I want you to you tuck your robes into your belts because you're going you're gonna to need to be ready to move. I want your staff in your hand, your shoes on your feet. We're not going to have time to mess around when the time comes. You need to be ready to go. And so the Israelites prepared to go. One of the things I think is fascinating that God told them to do was, uh, he said, you're going to plunder the Egyptians, but you're going to do it politely, okay? So what he told them to do was just go knock on the doors of your Egyptian uh, neighbors and say, hey, would you guys mind giving us all your gold? And they're going to say yes. And they're going to give you all their gold and all their silver and their cat and maybe grandma and like just take it all and get out. They're going to be ready for you to go. And so it's the most polite plundering in history. They just knocked on the doors and they, people gave them all their stuff. So they walked out of Egypt loaded with gold and silver and cats and stuff. So all of these preparations are taking place because God says, when the moment comes... I know you've been waiting for this for so long, but when the moment comes, you have got to be ready. You've got some work to do. I don't know what you've been waiting for God to do, but I know you can ask this question. Am I ready? Am I ready? If God finally does what I've been waiting for him to do, if he finally fulfills the promise, am I going to be ready? How do you know? All he did for the Israelites was give them some simple instructions and just said, obey, just obey. This, you don't have to come up with the plan. You don't have to think of the strategy. You don't have to figure out how everything is going to go. Isn't that what we want to do? I want to know how everything's going to go. Once this, once this happens, I want to know. Give it, give it all to me. And God doesn't give them anything. He just tells them how to get ready. Just obey the few simple instructions that you know. So that's that's step one for us. We can embrace the new. We can be ready for the new by embracing obedience. Just obey what you know. Most of us are, are not, we don't obey to the level of our knowledge, okay? We don't, we don't, we know more than we actually do, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that we don't know what to do, it's just that we don't do it. I think we get overwhelmed sometimes by how much we don't know. Like, there's there's so much about God that's still a mystery. There's so much about the Bible we don't understand, and we get kind of paralyzed by that, but what if you could just obey what you know? You don't need a Bible study to tell you that you should forgive when someone hurts you. You already know that, don't you? You know you're supposed to forgive, so just, just obey what you know. You don't need to pick up a commentary to tell you that you're supposed to love your neighbor, like your actual neighbor, the people that live around you that annoy you, you're supposed to love them. You don't, you don't need a commentary, a, a Bible scholar to tell you you're supposed to love your neighbor, do you? Just, just love your neighbor. Just obey what you know. You don't, you don't need a sermon 
to tell you that you should be generous with what you have. You don't need me to tell you that. You already know that. Just obey what you know. And in this very simple obedience, we are preparing ourselves for the new that God is going to do. That's what the Israelites did. They obeyed. They packed their belongings. They had their walking Passover tacos, ropes tucked into their belts. They were ready because if they weren't ready, when the moment came, they were going to miss it. So the second step is to embrace the new through death, through death. Yeah, we kind of took a dark left turn here. But the important thing to understand is there's this theme that runs throughout Scripture of new life. You see this all over the place. And, And the amazing thing about new life is that in order for there to be new life, something has to die. Jesus says that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't grow and bear fruit. That before there can be a resurrection, there has to be a death. Before there can be an Easter Sunday, there has to be a Good Friday, right? And so before there can be this new thing that God is doing, this freedom from slavery for the Egyptians, something has to die. So the plague that God is sending on Egypt, the 10th plague that's going to make Pharaoh say, this is the last straw, get out, is the death of the firstborn. An angel of the Lord is going to come through the nation of Egypt and In every home, the firstborn child will die. Unless, God says, I want you to kill a lamb, a perfect lamb, and I want you to put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of your houses. Here's what he says in Exodus 12, 7. Then they shall take some of the blood, that is of the lamb that they sacrifice, and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And then in verse 13, this blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The angel of death is coming. And the Hebrews, God wants to save his people. But the only way they can be saved is through death, through the blood of the lamb. Through the blood of the lamb. It's the same for you and me. The Israelites aren't saved because they're somehow morally superior to the Egyptians. They aren't saved because they know more about the Bible. There wasn't a Bible for them to know. They they were saved by one thing only, the blood of the lamb. And those who were under the blood of the lamb escaped the penalty of death. That message is still true for us today. The blood of the Lamb is our only hope. Paul makes this really clear in the New Testament writings in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has, say it with me, passed away. Behold, the new has come passed away. What does that mean? The old has died, that there is something that must die before there can be new life. That something is is you. Your sinful nature has to die. He says it a different way in Romans chapter 6, 3 and 4. Look at this. We were therefore buried with him, that is Christ, through baptism into what? Death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Before we can live a new life, What has to happen? Death. Our old self, our sinful nature has to die. 
before there can be new life in Christ. And I think, I think there's so many people who wear the name Christian who never died to self. I think there are so many people who say, like, I, I like this idea. I like this idea of, of being saved. I like this idea of, of knowing that I'm going to heaven when I die. And so I guess I'll go to church some. I guess maybe I'll read the, the Bible some. I guess I'll pray some. And then I get to go to heaven when I die. That's not the language of Scripture. The language of Scripture is your, your sinful nature has to die for you to get new life. And for, for so many people, you never made that choice. You never let your sinful nature die and walked away from it into the grace of Christ. When something dies, we have to move on. We can't hold on to it anymore. That's why this choice of letting the sinful nature die and living new life in Christ is not a one-time choice. It's a daily choice because we're going to be tempted every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, to go back to that sinful nature. But it's dead. Why would we go back to something that's dead? I read this story about Queen Victoria when she was 42 years old. Her, her husband, Prince Albert, died. And she never moved on. Every day for the rest of her life, she continued to set out his clothes every morning. She kept the linens on his bed washed. She kept a picture of him on his pillow. She never moved on. And I wonder, I wonder if she missed out on something new that God wanted to do, something new that could have happened in her life, but she couldn't experience it because she wouldn't let go of this, the old that had passed away. When something dies, we should grieve that loss, absolutely. But we grieve for a time, and then we move. We move on. And I think that the mistake that, that you and I often make is we handcuff ourselves to the old. We become uh, the ones who make the choice to tie ourselves to these obstacles to growth. We handcuff ourselves to the old because we're afraid, because it feels comfortable. It's predictable. Maybe you choose to live in debt, even though debt-free living is definitely better, but you choose to live in in debt because you've handcuffed yourself to this idea of I want what I want now. Maybe you've chosen to live in bitterness in relationships and you've allowed toxicity to just exist day after day. You've handcuffed yourself to this dysfunction because it's more comfortable than the confrontation that you would have to experience to move through it. It's, it's more comfortable than admitting that you were wrong. And we handcuff ourselves to the very obstacles that prevent us from moving forward. We need to let the dead go, our sinful nature and that death, so that we can move on. Is there something in your life that you should have moved on from a long time ago, that you should have confronted, you should have addressed, you should have admitted, you should have forgiven, but you've held on to it, and it's holding you back? We need to embrace the new that God is doing through death. And, and third and finally, we need to embrace the new on God's terms. On God's terms. The children of Israel, it was never their idea to leave Egypt. They asked for, for some reprieve from the oppression that they were experiencing. Just give us kinder taskmasters. But God's idea was different. 
God's idea was freedom. God's idea was leaving Egypt and going to a new place, going to the promised land, the land that he promised to Abraham and their forefathers. And so you think that when the people actually experience freedom from slavery, like slavery is bad and freedom is good, right? So when they get free, they should be excited and happy. But they're not. Look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. This is just shortly after. The people cross over the Red Sea and are set free from Egypt. It says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Do you hear what they're actually saying? It, it would be better if we had never left Egypt. Even though Egypt equals slavery, at least we had food. And here, we don't know where our next meal is coming from. I wish that was an isolated incident. It's not. In the next chapter, chapter 17, verse 3, it says, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? We kind of look at them and go, are you crazy? You were slaves and now you're free. Can't you see how this is better? And yet if we look in the mirror, I think we recognize we do the same thing all the time. We think about what we used to have. We think about the thing that made us comfortable. We think about the thing that was predictable. And we think that was something better. But God's definition of something better might be different than yours. Is it possible that God's ideas are better than yours. It's not just possible. It is a surety. His ideas are better than yours. And if he says this is something better, our job is to trust him and believe him and obey him. And not to say, God, but don't you think my idea is pretty good? I mean, what about my idea? I think that, that that's what we try to do. We try to convince God to fulfill our plans. God never promised to accomplish your plans. Only his. He absolutely promised that he would accomplish his plans, but he never made that promise about yours. And it's a good thing, isn't it? Because his ideas are just better than ours. We're lucky that God hasn't given us everything we wanted, aren't we? And the Israelites, they're so short-sighted. We look at them and we go, can't you see the bigger picture? Can't you see that freedom is better than slavery? And yet we are just like them. And we will often choose slavery over freedom in Christ. Maybe we do it out of fear. Out of fear of, of, of actually living a different way. If I'm really going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to make Jesus the center of my life, some things are going to have to change around here. And you know that. And so we avoid it. We just say, I would just rather, I would rather live in this place where I'm comfortable. And we we fail to realize that that comfortable place is actually slavery to sin instead of embracing the freedom that God has called us to in Christ. So we hold on to the old ways. We, we try to earn God's love through our behavior. We try to just avoid the big sins. Well, I haven't killed anybody, so that's good, right? When all the time we're choosing something worse because it's our idea, over something better because it's God's idea. We passively reject the something better that God has for us. 
and invites us into out of fear, out of comfort, out of lack of faith, out of a desire just to hold on to control. If I make Jesus the center, that means I don't get to have control over my life anymore, right? Right. Well, I I want control. Even if my control means I'm going to make dumb decisions and I'm going to cause pain to myself and to the people around me, I would rather have that control. And we think that's better. When what you're made for is to live with Jesus at the center and all of your decisions flow out of Christ in you. That's actually better. And we're just like the Israelites. We don't see it. In the short term, we can't see it. That's why this is called faith. We have to trust. God's ideas are better than mine. I'm going to do things his way, even when I don't understand, even when I'm not sure this is going to work. It was not my idea to live in Indiana. I'm from the South. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, for the most part, where it's, uh, you don't ever have to scrape ice off your windows, where you can look out and see hills and uh, other stuff besides corn and beans. Like, uh, I grew up in a city where um, you, you can find a grocery store really, like, close by. I thought that's, you know, this is who I am. I'm a, I'm a southern city boy. This is, this is the life I'm going to have. That was my idea. But God had a different idea. Cicero, Indiana. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> that's not, this is not how I saw things going. But I had just enough faith to say yes. I had just enough faith to obey. And now, I can't imagine living anywhere else. I love this place. I love this church. I love this community. I'm learning to find beauty in the cornfields. And I can't imagine raising my kids anywhere else. It wasn't my idea. But God's idea was better. I don't know what God is trying to lead you into. I don't know what new thing he's invited you into. But I promise you, it's better than your idea. It may cause you to change things. It may force you to do things differently. It may force you to interact with people differently. It may force you to think about your finances differently. It may force you to love people differently. But his way is better. It's always better. It was better for the children of Israel to be set free from slavery. But they were so short-sighted that the generation that got set free never got to experience the promised land. They wandered in the desert for 40 years until they all died because they could not embrace the new that God was doing. I don't want that for you. I don't want you to miss this incredible promise that God has given you, not a promise to fulfill your plans, but a promise to fulfill his plans, which are so much better. I don't want you to miss it because you're afraid of change. I don't want you to miss it because you're holding on to something that's dead. Maybe there's a step that you need to take today. Maybe your step is to put Jesus at the center. And maybe that's embarrassing for you because you've been going to church a long time, but you have to look in the mirror and go, I have never made Jesus the center of my life. Maybe that's a step you need to take today. Maybe you need to do what Paul suggested that we do is be baptized into his death in order that we may rise with him to new life. Maybe, maybe you need to go and seek forgiveness from someone that you hurt. Maybe you need to offer forgiveness to someone who hurt you. 
Maybe you need to give God control of your finances. Maybe you need a new attitude toward your neighbors or your coworkers. Whatever the new that God is doing, is inviting you into, I just want to challenge you to embrace it. It's better. And it's not just about you. If this were just about you living your best life, what's the best possible life for you? It's to be in heaven with him, isn't it? Like I'm fully convinced, heaven is way better than this. If it were just about me having my best life, God should just take me straight to heaven, but he didn't, he left me here, why? Because it's not just about me. It's about all the people around me who need to see the love of Christ reflected off of me. That's why I'm still here, and that's why you're still here. It's so that people will see the love of Christ reflecting off of you. And if, if you're still holding on to some things that you should have moved on from a long time ago, if you're still afraid of embracing new, repairing relationships, if you're still afraid of admitting your addiction, if you're still afraid of repenting from your sin, if you're still afraid of these things, you can't reflect the love of Christ on the people around you. You're not fulfilling your purpose. There's something better that God has for you. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to wander in the desert and miss out on what God has for you. And I don't want the people that God has put in your life for you to introduce to Jesus, I don't want them to miss out either. This is for us, and it's for the people that God wants to use us to reach. So it matters. So I want to ask you to pray with me as we close. Would you ask God, what is the new thing that you're inviting me into? What is the step of simple obedience I need to take today? Maybe ask God, what is the thing that I need to move on from, the thing that should be dead, and I'm still holding on to it? I've handcuffed myself to it. What is that thing? Ask God, what, what is the new idea of his that I need to embrace and let go of my own? Would you pray that with me? Father, this morning, I just want to ask that you um, help me not to be afraid of letting go of control. Help me not to be afraid of taking the risk of trusting you. Help me not to be afraid of leaving my comfort zone behind, of leaving predictability behind. Help me not to be afraid of those things, but fulfill your promises in my life, your promise for peace and joy and purpose. Would you fulfill those in my life? And I pray that for my brothers and sisters here today as well. Would you do that in all of us, Father, for your glory and for the benefit of the people around us who need to see Christ in us? May we live it out in such a way that others see your love and are drawn to Jesus. Thank you for inviting us into something new, and I pray that we can embrace it this morning in a way that honors you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.